If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Salmon do have resilience, but that resilience has limits. Tonight, fish kill. What's led to the sudden demise of thousands of BC salmon? Plus... A tragic end to the search for a couple missing in the backcountry. And... Who's doing anything about it? Or, or have we just stopped caring? Graffiti City, dealing with Vancouver's double-digit increase in tagging. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Neetu Garcha has the night off. I'm Jordan Armstrong. We begin with a disturbing sight this weekend in the Chequemus River north of Squamish. Thousands of stranded dead fish left in shallow waters. Krista Dow has more on what led to the die-off and what an expert says needs to change in order to stop this from happening. The Chequemus River is home to millions of species, among them pink salmon and its survival dependent on the ebb and flow of the river. When I showed up, I was taken back like I couldn't believe what I saw. Fish figuring everywhere in the line. For professional angler Clint Goyette, this sight extremely distressing. This weekend, he was alerted to the river north of Squamish. Thousands of fish stranded in the riverbed, most dead or dying. Sadness and frustration. All the nutrients come from the fish that come back. And, you know, if you interrupt this life cycle, then we're going to lose nutrients, we're going to lose the ecosystem. It's always interesting to see that many fish in one place, but you never want to see them on land. Um, And it really hits you pretty hard. The pair spent two hours trying to save as many as they could, but were easily overwhelmed. They're pointing the finger at BC Hydro for the deaths of the spawning salmon. The explanation from BC Hydro, flows are increased or decreased as a way to manage the Daisy Lake Reservoir. The utility company says storm inflows ended up being higher than expected, resulting in a larger spill than anticipated. BC Hydro crews worked steadily over the past couple of days to move any fish from areas likely to be dewatered and save as many stranded fish as possible. Um, you know, this event, though, does showcase that there's continued need to, to work on this. One expert in resource and environmental management say the event raises questions about how to move forward. Are the current rules protecting fish? I would expect that the current rules are sort of being followed, but do they need to be changed in order to protect fish? Is there a need to uh, shift uh, the water regulations in light of that climate change? For these anglers, it is time for change. They've seen this story played out too many times. This was back in 2019, and again, BC Hydro was to blame. The people who are responsible for this can actually be held accountable. BC Hydro has to take a good hard look at, at, at how, how to move forward knowing that these salmon need to survive. BC Hydro says it will follow up after this to improve operations in the future. Krista Dow, Global News. 
A tragic end to the search for a missing couple from Bridal Falls. Penticton RCMP say 67-year-old Glenn Hamakawa and his 56-year-old wife Eva hadn't been seen since Friday after they were traveling in the backcountry of the Crump Recreational Site on their ATV. Police and Penticton Search and Rescue launched an extensive search effort along the Summerland-Princeton Highway. Today, their bodies were found in the backcountry. Police say they did not survive an apparent ATV rollover in dense and steep terrain. Starting tomorrow, the B.C. school mask mandate will be enforced, partly the result of major pressure from parents and educators. The question is, will a vaccine mandate for schools soon follow? Grace Key reports. Before the province made masks mandatory for all K-12 students, three school districts, Vancouver, Surrey and Burnaby, took it upon themselves to expand the mandate. Now New Westminster is making its own inquiries for mandatory staff vaccinations. Because I think it is definitely, it's another piece um, that where we could protect students, those younger uh, students who are unable to be vaccinated themselves. On Friday, school board trustees voted to seek out legal opinion on the matter, with a report due back on October 12th. All those in favor? Aye. The provincial health officer says there are many different ways to have conditions of employment that require immunization. It is um, an employer-employee relationship in many other settings, and we are seeing increasingly that employers are requiring vaccination um, in many different settings, and uh, school settings are no different. It's unclear how many teachers are vaccinated. The BCTF is not opposed to mandatory vaccinations. If a mandate came down, we would certainly work with um, the provincial health office, local health authorities, government, to ensure that privacy rights of members is protected. That That's an obligation that we have, of course, and that in those rare situations where there was an exemption, um, that there be a proper accommodation process in place. Safe Schools Coalition BC, led by parents and teachers, would like to see mandatory vaccinations for staff and eligible students. And the same thing with measles, mumps, rubella. This is a vaccine that's required to go to school. We have those cards that show our vaccination status. And I think that, that COVID-19 should be on there too, not only for staff, but I think for eligible children as well. Six DPACs have signed off on a letter to the province asking for mandatory vaccinations for teachers and staff. If we ask for it as well, and we show the fact that we support it as well as parents, that perhaps that would give the indication to the Minister of Health to call on the teachers to have mandated vaccines. For now, starting on Monday, students K through grade 3 will also be required to wear masks. Grace Key, Global News. Well, speaking of tomorrow, we may want to brace ourselves when the COVID-19 case numbers are released for the weekend with fears they could be high. Keith Baldry joins us with a preview. Keith, what are you expecting? Yeah, bad news, Jordan, basically, because we've been seeing that for the last couple of weeks or so. So based on a seven-day average, we get three days' worth of reports tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be big. It's going to be probably more than 2,000. We've been averaging, averaging about more than 750 cases a day, test positive. But the real troubling number is the hospitalizations. That's probably going to be in the, about 40 a day. So that's probably going to be about 120-plus. And now that is not the number on the dashboard because people come out of the hospital all the time as well. So, the, But the gross number continues to go up. And unfortunately, one of the more troubling things 
trends we've seen recently, Jordan, is a reversal in our mortality rate. For so long, BC had very low numbers of people passing away from COVID-19. That's not the case right now. We're averaging seven deaths a day for the last week. So again, hopefully this isn't true, but we're looking at probably more than 20 people being reported having died from COVID-19 or with COVID-19. All right, switching gears here. The legislature is back tomorrow, not virtually, mm. but in person. How is this going to work? A lot differently than it worked uh, last time these, these legislators met. Last time was virtual. It was a hybrid. Many people were in their offices or at their homes uh, and were appearing virtually. Uh, there was a limit on the number of people who could be in the chamber. That all changes tomorrow. All 87 legislators can now be in the chamber at one time. The public, the legislature is going to be open to the public reviewing if you're fully vaccinated. That is a condition of entering the legislature right now, as is in many other places. You have to be, and you have to show proof of full vaccination. That will apply to the legislature as well. All starts tomorrow. Tomorrow at 10 goes for a number of weeks. I expect there to be a significant legislation. Also, there's going to be some protests on the front lawn. That is a truism of B.C. politics at all times. <laughs> all right, for sure. Thanks, Keith. B.C.'s top doctor is urging people to get vaccinated against COVID-19 ahead of Thanksgiving. Dr. Bonnie Henry encourages those coming together for turkey dinners with older members of their family next weekend to ensure everybody is immunized. She's also reminding British Columbians that several large areas of the province are under additional restrictions for personal gatherings due to increased community transmission. People living in the eastern Fraser Valley, interior and northern health regions are all limited to either five guests or one visiting household. The advice is, is get vaccinated right now so that you can get together safely with your family. Um, this, is, we, this virus is still out there. The vaccine is our way to mitigate the risk across the board. So now's the time to start thinking about getting that vaccine so you can go home and visit with your granny and grampy or your, your uncles or sisters who are immune compromised or those people in your family that you need to protect from this virus. The Prime Minister has now formally apologized to the Tecumloops Tishwepmik First Nation for taking a vacation in B.C. instead of attending events marking the first national day for truth and reconciliation. Why not in person, sir? Justin Trudeau flew to Tofino on Thursday to spend time with his family on a day meant to mark the painful legacy of Canada's residential schools. On Saturday, the PM called Chief Roseanne Casimir to apologize and talked to visiting Kamloops soon. Hundreds of unmarked graves were found at the sites of former residential schools across the country earlier this year, including at the former Kamloops Residential School. It is not your imagination. Stats show there is more graffiti in Vancouver. Just ahead on tonight's news hour, the plea from local merchants who are out of pocket every time their shop gets sprayed. What they want City Hall to do about it. Plus, the park board's response to a charity event displaced by a J-Lo movie shoot. Welcome back. The city of Vancouver is dealing with a huge spike in graffiti vandalism since the pandemic began. Kristen Robinson has more on the problem paint and why merchants say they're paying the price, while taggers often face no punishment for their unsolicited criminal endeavors. From the walls of businesses to delivery trucks, windows, and buildings. Graffiti is gripping Vancouver. It's everywhere. It's an ongoing uh, battle trying to keep up with it. Inside Les Amis du Fromage, Joe Chaput sells premium cheddar and charcuterie, 
Outside, he's dealing with a different type of cheese. All of a sudden, you come back to work on Monday morning, and there's tags on your garage door, on the front of the building. It's frustrating. Since COVID hit, the city's removal contractor has been busy. Goodbye Graffiti logging close to 150,000 nuisance reports on city property in 2020, a 41% spike over 2019. Among them, more than 1,200 racist tagging incidents, which rose by 55%. Nuisance Graffiti reports to 311 for public and private property soared by 70% year over year. We've seen a 100% increase uh, on graffiti. In Mount Pleasant, nothing is sacred, including murals. The local BIA spending upwards of eight grand a month to paint over the mischief, more than double what it did pre-pandemic, while taggers don't appear to be paying the price. All of the costs uh, and punishment are falling onto the property owners or the business owners. Like Chaput, who says he was fined 500 bucks for tagged trash bins. I'd love to see somebody get a fine for doing it. Somebody get caught. Uh, you know, that just never happens. Under the city's graffiti bylaw, property owners can be billed if they don't get rid of the vandalism that lands on their turf. Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young says the focus should be on prolific vandals. They're now scaling buildings and tagging, you know, near roofs or at three or four stories, and that can be very difficult to remove. So there may be an opportunity for the city to provide support on some of those really difficult to remove areas. Council has given out half a million dollars in grants to help 22 BIAs remove the stain on the city. When it just sits there for long periods of time, it just sends this message that there's no civic pride. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver Park Board staff and a local nonprofit group say they are still in talks over compensation for extra costs incurred because an upcoming bidding event is being bumped due to a Hollywood production. The Coffee Cup Revolution was set to be held at Victory Square on October 7th. But the Park Board has granted a film permit for a production called The Mother, starring Jennifer Lopez, to shoot there on that day. The binning event is being relocated to Oppenheimer Park, which will cost organizers an estimated $5,000 more in costs to advertise the move and overtime costs for staff. The park board says their staff determined the binning event was easier to relocate because it's a one-day event, whereas Great Lake Films needed not only Victory Square, but the surrounding streets for a 16-day shoot. For their part, the binners project says... They're now focused on making the Coffee Cup Revolution event on Thursday a success. Some residents of Williams Lake are being asked to conserve water as much as possible, right down to flushing the toilet less often. The city is asking residents of the city's west side to keep baths, showers, laundry and dishwashing to a minimum and only use water for essential purposes. The request applies to residents of the Green Acres Mobile Home Park and along Frizzy Road. A landslide last week has led to a break in a sewer main. The city says reducing water use will limit the flow of sewage through the pipe and help crews as they work on repairs. Just ahead tonight, Alberta hospitals get a helping hand from the military. But are the reinforcements too little too late? And a first in almost 19 months, Canucks fans back inside Rogers Arena today. We'll show you how it went. We're looking at the Alex Fraser Bridge where earlier there was a six uh, vehicle crash that had traffic lined up.
back to 72nd on the northbound lane. Southbound was doing fine, but as I can see, things have been cleared. So all that traffic that is lined up uh, is sl slowly moving their way across and getting their way home. And I don't see any more traffic building up behind it. Want to be the ultimate content creator? Talk with ex expert photographers and creators at your local Henry's about the best gear for streaming, podcasting, and video content. Visit henrys.com. From the Global Traffic Helicopter, I'm Jackson McNulty. Military aid for Alberta's crushing wave of COVID-19 is scheduled to arrive within hours. Alberta doctors agree the federal reinforcements are needed, but the real solution, they say, still lies within the province's power. Morgan Black reports. Critical care nurses are set to arrive in Alberta Monday. Reinforcements sent by the military. It's a drastic measure that will be a drop in the bucket, according to doctors. I think the real challenge right now is, does this help? Up to eight nurses will come help. Monday's initial team will work to see where that assistance is needed. And the federal government says the Red Cross plans to send up to 20 medical professionals with ICU experience. The United Nurses of Alberta's Danielle Larravee says even with this boost, an exhausted and overwhelmed workforce needs more. We really would need hundreds uh, of nurses to, to make a difference. For weeks, doctors, as well as the groups representing them, like the Canadian Medical Association, have been calling for a preventative approach to help drowning hospitals. They're thankful for the federal aid, but they want the province to implement a firebreak. Being like a forest fire and being given a bucket to throw on that forest fire. Um, and, it, and it seems like there's an arsonist in the back that's constantly starting more fires. This is a token uh, that really distracts us from the much bigger issue of what's going on. Alberta Health Services is grateful for the assistance of the Canadian Armed Forces and the Canadian Red Cross, reads a statement to Global News. Specific details of where these medical personnel will be deployed is still being finalized, but it's expected the CAR will be stationed in Edmonton. In short term, yes, it's great, but, but in the long term, uh, we don't see an end to this with the way things are right now. What we desperately need is to stop community spread. Larravee says this extra assistance will provide relief for some nurses. It will also provide additional care for some patients. What it won't do is fix the problem. Very welcome, but not enough um, in terms of action. What we really need to do is, uh, is, is stop the flood of, of ill people into our hospitals. Morgan Black, Global News. Alberta Health Services is showing a stark example of what it's like for those Albertans who need care. They posted a Twitter video of new mom Tatiana Rideout. They wrote she did not get vaccinated and caught the virus from a family member while pregnant. Rideout had her baby. She had to deliver it, though, by emergency C-section. Soon after, she struggled to breathe. At the time of the tweet, Rideout had been in hospital for about 15 days. Her baby is at home being monitored for symptoms. Yeah, he's, he got tested for COVID when we were in the isolation, and so far he's okay. I can't help but worry. Like, he's, he, like, every little sneeze or cough, we're worried about him. But um, so far, so good. I do wish I was vaccinated. I don't know. It's just a predicament. Edmonton Oiler Josh Archibald is out indefinitely. After tests show he was infected with COVID-19 this summer, and he's now been diagnosed with inflammation of the heart muscle. Archibald is the lone oiler who has refused to get vaccinated. He was in quarantine before the start of training camp when he got a severe viral infection. He tried to skate for a few days on his own after the quarantine, but wasn't feeling well. 
So he went through testing, which revealed the diagnosis and the previous COVID infection. We'll, we'll see where it goes. I, mean, I, I have no idea what the doctors are uh, about myocarditis. I'm not uh, a physician by any stretch. We'll let them take care of it and, and uh, hopefully, hopefully he can get through it and get back to plan. Archibald will continue to go through tests this week, including an MRI and CAT scan. A Calgary restaurant has had its permit pulled over not complying with COVID-19 restrictions. As Carolyn Curry de Castillo reports, several other Calgary area restaurants are opposed to the vaccine passport system and are concerned about backlash. The sign at Without Papers Pizza in Inglewood clearly states we are not in compliance with the City of Calgary vaccine passport bylaw. The bylaw requires many businesses and organizations to require proof of vaccination to get in. Now, Without Papers is without a permit. AHS confirming that on Thursday they suspended the restaurant's food handling permit after receiving 33 complaints about non-compliance with orders that were put in place to prevent the spread of COVID-19. I know who walks to that door with our community. I know who's vaccinated and who's not vaccinated and that makes it harder. The owner of the Mosley Bar and Grill southeast of Calgary had chosen not to enforce the province's vaccine passport system until this weekend. She says the government rules have been dividing the small community. You can't win once I and one of the reasons I haven't announced anything is because I know the minute I do that's where we're going to start getting the threats and the bullying and you know why are you doing this why why are you being a sheep why are you not standing up to the government. We didn't feel it was our responsibility as a brand new small business to to pick and choose who came into our establishment to eat. The owners of the British Tea House in High River chose to close their indoor dining two weeks ago rather than opt into the vaccine passport system. But their revenue dropped sharply when they were limited to takeout. So this week, the owners say they will join the province's restriction exemption program. We had a lot of support from people who didn't support the program. Um, but that on its own isn't keeping our business um, going. So we have to make a choice between losing our business and doing something that we believe in. Without papers didn't respond to requests for a comment. The sign on the door says, we accept all, may they be vaccinated or unvaccinated, as being equal in their humanity. Carolyn Curry de Castillo, Global News. Officials in California fear an ecological disaster is in the making after an offshore rig spilled more than half a million liters of oil into the Pacific Ocean. Oil-covered pelicans have been spotted on California shores. The slick was first spotted last night. Ten kilometers of beaches south of Los Angeles are closed to keep people away from the oil. Residents and tourists are being asked not to swim, surf or exercise near some of the most popular beaches. A major air show was canceled today, that to help facilitate the cleanup effort. Boats are deploying booms to contain the spill where they can. Experts are still trying to determine why the leak off Orange County happened. But the energy company responsible says it has stopped the oil from flowing. The oil spill has significantly impacted our community. At our last update, we were informed that more than 3,000 barrels of oil, or 126,000 gallons, have been spilled into the ocean located just off of the Huntington Beach coast and our coastal neighbors. Our wetlands are being degraded and portions of our coastline are now covered in oil.
In Quebec, the Transportation Safety Board of Canada is investigating a fatal plane crash in Montreal. It happened last night when a marriage proposal went horribly wrong. Global's Olivia O'Malley has that story. Transportation Safety Board investigators are examining every possible scenario that caused this plane to be a shell of what it once was, resulting in the death of the only passenger and injuring the pilot. The, the first point we have is those trees, the, the second, second row of trees here, uh, we can see the branches are broken and, and the impact marks, so we're, we're starting with this. According to authorities, the Cessna 172 airplane was towing a banner that read, Chantal, will you marry me? Before reporting difficulties and crashing in Dieppe Park next to De La Concorde Bridge around 6 p.m. Saturday night. Police are still searching for the missing marriage proposal banner. Gavillet says if a pilot runs into difficulties, the banner can be released from inside the plane. The banner is not here, so it, I'm presuming it's been released at some point. And... Uh, the, the pilot attempted to land in whatever space he could find. According to La Presse, the airplane belongs to aerial advertising company Aerogram. Global News contacted Aerogram's owner, but he did not reply to our request for comment. It was a bad day for flying. This I'm aviation sure expert says the crash could have been caused by a number of factors, including flying at a low altitude underneath Saturday's rain clouds. And the ceilings were really, really low. Um, we're talking about 1,200 feet ceiling. You know, anything, anything below uh, 1,500 feet is considered uh, pretty low for this type of flying. Daoud says it puts pressure on the pilot to maneuver the plane below a certain level, especially if they are towing a banner that needs to be visible from the ground. My guess would be maybe some kind of mechanical issue at low altitude and he just ran out of options. The Transportation Safety Board will be taking the plane to its lab in Ottawa. From there, investigators will analyze what's left of the wreckage to find out what exactly went wrong. Olivia O'Malley, Global News, Montreal. Just ahead, a sight we haven't seen in a while. Hockey fans inside Rogers Arena as the news hour continues. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Canucks fans back in the stands, what's the same and what's different right after Avon's forecast? But first, cutting boards, cookbooks and chair covers on offer today at a culinary garage sale on Granville Island, all for a good cause. Chefs and aspiring chefs all on hand to sift through goods ranging from high-end tools in China to vintage dinnerware. It's the event's fourth year, but because of COVID-19, the sale was offering two years' worth of items. It's to benefit an organization that supports women in the culinary and hospitality industry. They're raising money for scholarships and programs for children's food education in the classroom. It's one of our biggest fundraisers, and we haven't been able to do a fundraiser for two years because of COVID, of course. So we've been stashing away. We've still been giving money away, but we haven't been bringing any money in. So we really needed to fill our coffers up today. The organization gave out $40,000 in COVID relief funds last year and $50,000 in scholarships to girls, women and people who identify as women attending culinary schools. 
Nice to see them doing such good work and nice to see that sunset behind you. Yeah, Beautiful. we started off on the gray side this morning, been a few isolated showers or drizzle, but we're just before sunset this evening and it's gorgeous. We can see that from our wall center hotel camera. Uh, we are going to continue to see dry conditions this evening, but a bit of a blip in the forecast on the long range and I'll show you more in just a moment. Temperatures are currently sitting at 11 and we've got a northwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. 14 was the high today where we're still close to the average for this time of the year. Official sunset this evening will be at 647. Overnight tonight, we do have some fog. It is going to cool down. Temperatures will be down to 9 degrees. We'll have fog patches for going to work and school in the morning hours, but it'll be a dry start. Mainly cloudy for the afternoon. Temperatures will be up to 15 for tomorrow. And then late towards the evening and overnight is when we're going to start to see some rain. This next weather maker is going to push in and rain and heavy at times will be continuing through the day on Tuesday. So a heads up, nice dry start for going to work and school tomorrow. We do have some fog there and then the heavier rain is going to push in towards the evening. We've got some instability, though, still along the northern and central half of the province. And here's how it plays out on the future cast. We can see it along the coast with still a chance of showers leading in towards the morning hours. And then we're going to see that moisture move its way across the south coast for us across Metro Vancouver late in the evening and then by Tuesday morning and then through the day on Tuesday is the potential to see some showers for the interior. So most of the showers along the northern half of the province will be in the morning. Temperatures will be up to 12 degrees. It's dry through the day across the central interior, but the bulk of the rain and moisture is going to move in for the evening hours. So a heads up periods of rain by the evening, but dry through the day on Monday for the southern interior and still warming up. Temperatures today, for example, in the Okanagan getting into the low 20s and there is that potential for many spots through the day tomorrow. A touch cooler, however, Whistler underneath a mainly cloudy sky up to 13 degrees. Few isolated showers possible for the northern and western edge of the island and at Victoria looks to be dry underneath a mainly cloudy sky. So we do have some fog in the morning, a few breaks in there, anticipate some sunshine, and then mainly cloudy through the afternoon. 15 will be the high. The rain is going to move in late. It'll likely be overnight. The heaviest and wettest rainfall will be on our Tuesday so far. That looks to be the soaker. Should be showers on Wednesday, drier towards the evening, and then it rebounds. Pretty pleasant Thursday, Friday, back into a partly cloudy sky and dry. Jordan? Sounds good. Thanks, Yvonne. The nearly 19-month-long wait by Canucks fans is finally over. For the first time since the pandemic began, season pass holders were allowed back into Rogers Arena this afternoon to watch in person the team skate on home ice. Kamal Karamali has the story. Hear that? Puck is centered and hold that's the sound Canucks players and fans have been waiting for for a year and a half. Go Canucks, go! People back in the stands. Very excited. Flooding the halls. You guys need to be here, man. Live the moment. And the entrances. I feel really good, honestly. I kind of miss watching the Canucks. Lineups once again snaking around Rogers Arena, all for a preseason game against the Winnipeg Jets. Couldn't be any more excited. Rosario Ardita has been counting down the days until he can get back to his season ticket holder's seat. There's butterflies. It's, I feel like I'm five years old again. Sunday's game only open to season ticket holders and their guests, with current provincial guidelines only allowing Rogers Arena to be 50% full. Let's enjoy the game. There are other changes, too. Fans will have to show proof of vaccination and wear masks at all times. Still, the team says it'll be a positive change from last year. I didn't realize how much the fans make a difference until last year, so I'm really excited to have fans back in the stadium. It's been a while since we've felt that energy, um, especially in our own building. 
Although only season ticket holders are allowed back in for now, the team is likely to make an announcement next week on when single-game tickets will be up for grabs. We're at 50% tonight, but we're hoping for the start of the year to be back at 100% fans. In hopes the capacity limits will be lifted by the time the team starts its regular season in late October. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Saw Elias Pedersen in that story. And Barry, we have some news on his future with the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been reported for the last couple of days. We finally heard from Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen and Jim Benning. Finally signed, sealed, delivered. They'll uh, uh, get on the ice with the team and hopefully get into some preseason games. They just wrapped up against the Jets and won 3-2, so we'll have highlights of that. Blue Jay fans a little brokenhearted. They did all they could, but uh, didn't get the help they needed to get into the playoffs. We go through the entire baseball. And the Seahawks, impressive victory after a couple of uh, duds their last couple <laughs> of games. We have all that coming up. So another busy Sunday. For sure. Also coming up, a BC artist's metal masterpieces inspired by Game of Thrones. How he does it as the news hour continues. This is BC with Jay Durant, brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. Fraser Valley artist has made a name for himself with his larger-than-life sculptures. As Jay Durant found out in tonight's This is BC, his remarkable achievement is really in the tiny pieces that are the foundations of his art. Kevin Stone is approaching the final phase of a job that will have taken him over a year to finish. The intricate detail is not something that can be rushed, and the sheer size of it means many long days in his Abbotsford shop. But this 12,000-pound Game of Thrones dragon is finally nearing completion. I had no idea what I was getting into, so my wife and I went home and binge-watched the whole series and, and started you know, researching the dragon. This is a one-of-a-kind order for a California resident. It's valued at close to $600,000. There is no blueprint for something like this. I think that's my whole career. I just kind of jump off the diving board and hope I can swim. Stone has become a master of metal. In 2009, he built this dragon, which eventually went on display at the PE. But this creation is far more elaborate. Thousands of small pieces requiring specific detailing. It's, it's a very overwhelming project. So if I'm building a foot, I'll just focus on that. And it's a small project. Then, then all the small projects eventually work their way into the big project. It will be 55 feet head to tail with a wingspan of 70 feet from tip to tip. And oh yeah, it will breathe fire. Meanwhile, Stone has started work on what will be his biggest creation yet, a 15,000-pound T-Rex. So this will be the lips of the dragon, and they're done in two pieces. So one piece makes the scale that goes around the lips, and then the other forms the lip itself. And I think I have about 200 of these to make. And he doesn't plan to stop there. Before I'm done and retire, I'd like to be involved in building the world's largest sculpture and... and where and how that'll happen, I don't know, but I sure hope it does. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you have a story you think should be featured here, it's real easy. Just send us an email to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Multi-year deals for two popular Canucks. We hear from them and the coach right after this.
Couple your support to the Surrey Hospital Foundation. Help the Jim Pattison Outpatient Care and Surgery Center upgrade their equipment for the public by donating today. Plus, your donation will be matched by businessman Jim Pattison himself up to $4 million. Sharing a meal with loved ones is always a special occasion, and it's even more so when it supports families at the Ronald McDonald House BC in Yukon. Join them for a virtual celebration and enjoy stories from families, special guests and performances, silent auction, and more. If you wanna know, it's on the hub. If you wanna show, it's on the hub. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Contracts are signed. Canucks fans can relax. Yeah, it's uh, something that's kind of dragged on a little longer, I think, than everyone wanted, Jordan. But uh, they're here. That's the main thing. It uh, did take a little longer than all parties were hoping. But Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson are back with the Canucks. New contracts in hand and hopefully enough time to be at full speed when the puck drops for real 10 days from now in Edmonton. The plan would be get some practices in right away and at least two preseason games each. But both players say they are in about as good a shape as they can be thanks to their own mini-training camp at Quinn Hughes' home base in Michigan. I skate him with uh, Quinn's dad. Um, he doesn't go easy on us, so it's been, it's been tough skates. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, I had Petey and Brady come down, and, uh, you know, it was nice to have them there. And, um, you know, obviously it wasn't, uh, you know, like camp, but it was as good as it can get, and we went pretty hard. So um, my dad runs a tough skate, but, you know, we belong here now, and um, so we were happy to, you know, get back here. You know, they've been skating, you know, out in Michigan with Jim Hughes. He's worked them hard, but, you know, it's not like they've been in camp and they're getting hit and, you know, they're taking guys out and stuff. So that'll take, you know, an adjustment period for them to get back to, you know, the physical play of the game. But they look like they're in great shape. They say they're ready to go. They're excited to be here. So um, hopefully they'll be ready for the start of the year. Yeah, like I said earlier, I think Jim made some great moves uh, this off season, and um, that's a big part of why me and Petey wanted to get back and didn't want to miss any time because we want to, you know, uh, get ready like at start of season so we can uh, have a good start. Benning also said Brendan Sutter is still undergoing tests to find out the source of his fatigue. Benning says Sutter will not start the season with the team. Benning also not sure when Travis Hamanick is going to show up. Hamanick continues to deal with undisclosed personal issues. As for today, Canucks and Jets at Rogers Arena, Vancouver's fourth of seven preseason games. And as you saw earlier, fans at Rogers for the first time since March 2020, about 19 months ago. Canucks start strong off the turnover. Tanner Pearson to Bo Horvat. His shot squeaks through Jets goalie Mikhail Burden. And it's 1-0 Canucks later on a power play. Canucks getting some chances. Oliver Ekman-Larsen off the post. Nick Patan snapping one off the post as well. Close, but no goals. 1-1 after one. Second period, Connor Garland showing his skill set. Nifty little move, gets the shot on net, and then he shows the feisty side, getting a shot in on Jansen Harkins, who's much bigger than him. Garland will be a fan favorite this season. Canucks take the lead, four on four. J.T. Miller and Madison Bow is a pretty goal. They combine to set up Nick Patan, who's now got a goal and two assists in three preseason games. Patan is a local boy from Delta. He has a pretty good chance to make this team. Jack Rathbone also trying to make the squad. He's played well, but this didn't help his cause. Bad giveaway, but Jarl Halak bails him out with the save. 
It remains 2-1 Canucks after 40 minutes. Third period, Canucks forced the turnover. Bo Horvat with the drop pass, pinballs to Tanner Pearson, and he will knock it in. That turned out to be the game winner as the Canucks hold on to win it by the final of 3-2. All right, final Sunday of the baseball season. Everything on the line for the Jays, Yankees, Red Sox, and Mariners. All four fighting for just two wild card spots. Jays had to beat Baltimore, and they did handily. George Springer starts the game with a solo blast. Jays put up three in the first. In the second, Vladdy Guerrero Jr., with his 48th homer, sets the major league record for most home runs in a season by a 22-year-old or younger. 5-0 Jays back to Springer. Bases loaded. He unloads them. He is just on such a tear as the Jays hammer Baltimore 12-4. But now they need either a Yankee loss or a Red Sox loss to get to a tiebreaker game tomorrow. Let's check in. We will start at Yankee Stadium. Tampa Bay Rays 112-2 yesterday, looking for the sweep of New York. Scoreless in the bottom of the ninth. Talk about tension. This was like a playoff game. Aaron Judge at the plate has all that power. Ends up with an infield single, but it scored the winning run. And the Yankees do what they have to do. They clinch a wild card spot with the one nothing win over Tampa. So one last chance for the Jays. Need Boston to lose to the Nationals. This also went down to the wire, tied at five. Top nine. Raphael Devers launches a two-run homer. Boston was down 5-1 in the seventh, but rallied to take the 7-5 lead. Then Victoria's Nick Pavetta comes on in the bottom of the ninth, and he will strike out Juan Soto with the nasty curveball. Sox win 7-5. They will host the Yankees in the wild card on Tuesday. Jays fall a game short. Mariners lost to the Angels, but it didn't matter. It'll be Boston and New York in the one-game playoff at Fenway. NFL Seahawks trying to bust a two-game losing skid at San Francisco, and it wasn't good early. The Niners dominated. Jimmy Garoppolo throws a 21-yard touchdown strike to Ross Dwelly. 7-0 San Francisco. The Seahawks offense had negative yardage until mid-second quarter, but thanks to their defense, they stayed in it, and then Russell Wilson got it going. Finds DK Metcalf, who will stretch for the touchdown. They reviewed it, but they say it's a score, 7-7 at the half. Second half, Seahawks take over. They've been terrible in the second half so far, but Russell Wilson changed it. 16-yard touchdown scamper as he dives in for the uh, touchdown. 14-7 Seattle on their first third-quarter TD of the season, and then after the Niners fumbled on the kickoff, Wilson with a Houdini act to avoid the sack and then finds Freddie Swain in the end zone for the touchdown. What a play by Wilson. How did he not go down? Seahawks feeling it now. Lead 21-7. Now 21-13. Alex Collins with some fine moves. Picks his way in for the score. Hawks over 100 yards rushing. 100th career win for Russell Wilson. Good balanced attack after being shut down in the first quarter and a half. 28-21 the final. Huge win for Seattle as they even their record at 2-2, two and two, same as San Fran. Also, Cardinals and Rams, NFC West showdown between two 3-0 and o teams. Second quarter, Kyler Murray is going to go 14 yards to Max Williams, who gets punished but hangs on to give the Cards the lead. 14-10 Arizona. The Cards ran it down the Rams' throats. Over 200 yards rushing. James Conner had a pair of one-yard touchdown runs. And the Cards thrashed the Rams, surprisingly, 37-20. They are 4-0, and three of those wins 
have come on the road. Steelers and Packers, no Chase Claypool for Pittsburgh out with a hamstring injury. Ben Roethlisberger did throw his 400th career TD pass, the eighth to do so, but it was Aaron Rodgers who uh, stole the so a TD pass here to Randall Cobb. They connected twice. The Pack go on to win 27-17. Now 3-1 after that big blowout loss to New Orleans in their season opener. Final round of the Sanderson Farms Championship from Jackson, Mississippi. Sam Burns just one off the lead when the day began, sinks the birdie on 13, and that means a four-way tie at 21 under. But Burns keeps the hammer down, birdies 14, and then at the short par 4, 15th, second shot. Nice chip to a foot for another birdie, and he hangs on to win the Sanderson Farms by a shot. His second PGA Tour win, Merritt's Roger Sloan finished five back, tied for 14th and won 128,000. Adam Hadwin finished tied 45th and some soccer premier league of uh, in a battle of giants salah shows uh, he walks taller than all check out the amazing foot skills here you're going through a very good man city defense and finishing off post and in fantastic goal as liverpool and man city draw two all liverpool in second a point behind chelsea and one up on man city and Man United. And that is it for sports. Jordan, back to you. All right, thanks, Barry. Stolen family heirlooms recovered a positive conclusion to a break-in. That story next. Attention. Need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrua examines Consumer Matters on Global News. Richmond RCMP's Property Crime Unit recovered a B.C. family's priceless stolen item when they raided a home last month as part of an ongoing investigation. During the search, police discovered a Burnaby firefighter's long-service medal. Investigators were able to track down the son of the long-retired firefighter who confirmed the medal commemorated his father's 35-year career. The badge of honor had been stolen from the Richmond home of Barry Williams, during a 2018 break-in, along with several other valuables, including a union retirement ring and watch. Williams says his family is grateful for the RCMP effort to get the items back. They have it, I've identified it, and they'll be ready to hand it over to me shortly. And that, that's, you know, it's a connection, once it's lost, it's lost forever. So it's great to have that back. Quite often we don't get that chance to reunite an item uh, especially of such sentimental value uh, to its rightful owner. Uh, and in this case, it was happy for everyone. He loved his job. It wasn't something that was just given to him and, and tossed in a corner. He, you know, he, he was proud of that medal, and it, it, was, it was hard to lose that. But it meant so much to get it back. We love that. A win mm-hmm. for the good guys. Awesome. How's the forecast this week, Yvonne? <laughs> uh, we do have some fog overnight, but it is going to be dry, heading out to work or school in the morning. And then the rain is going to move in, but it's late, likely overnight in towards our Tuesday. The wettest day, take note, will be on Tuesday. Get your wellies and umbrella. Should ease <laughs> off and then rebounds really nicely for Thursday, Friday. Pretty good and pleasant looking forecast. Well, it is fall, right? That's you bet. That's what we get. That's tonight's <laughs> News Hour. Thanks for watching. 60 Minutes is next on Global, and we'll all be back at 11. So long for now. Look at that. That's gorgeous.